they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to the Barber Bible with the Barbers, Terry Barber and Mary Danielle. We are honored to be here. I'm really, really excited about today's show. The reason is I teased it, teased it after our uh, Terry and Jesse show about Pope Benedict XVI as Cardinal Ratzinger as a Bible scholar. He has so much, so many good things to share with the church. So Mary Danielle, let's get right into it. But before we do that, we want to also do our readings for the Bible for the uh, for the today's scripture verse. We always say soul food with Jesse Romero. And, and so I wanted to ask you uh, if you could read today's uh, verses. It starts here, uh, right on verse 7. From the Gospel of Luke, Luke, chapter 17. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, and gird yourself and serve me till I eat and drink, and afterwards you shall eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that is commanded, you say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And that's the gospel for today. And I already gave my comments from the Navarre Bible, so I'm, I'm giving you a fair warning. But, you know, Mary, you're a mom, and you serve the family all the time. And it's, and it's not easy. I realize it. She's married to me for almost 30 years. So that tells you how tough it is. But I, I ask you, don't you look at serving as serving Christ when you serve me and the family? That's right. We're serving Christ when we serve one another. And the beautiful thing about this gospel is it, it reminds us the humility, the humility we should have before the Lord. We are supposed to approach God humbly. And even though God loves us, he's a father to us. Mm -hmm. He wants us to share intimately in his own life. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, he always remains God. God is God and we are not. And he can't make us God. You know, they say, well, there's nothing God can't do. Well, yeah, he can't make us God. He's God and there's only one God. There are three persons in God, but there's only one God. So in the scripture, he's showing us we are supposed to serve him out of love. And if we do this, we will come to know him and love him more. Mm -hmm. And in that service, we're not to take pride. We're to thank God for the opportunity to be able to serve and especially for the opportunity to enter into his own life and to know him. It's a great grace. We, you know, God didn't owe us anything. He had no necessity to, cre to create us. He did it out of pure love because Love is like that. It wants to give itself away, and God wanted to share his life, so he created creatures that he could share his life with. I think of what Bishop Sheen says, any good that I do comes from God, and I thank him for it. So there you, go. you are cooperating with actual grace. Exactly. exactly. To do your duties and your state in life. That's right. That's right. And I encourage our listeners to see that as coming from the hand of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's get into uh, Pope Benedict XVI as Cardinal Ratzinger. And, he, you know, just I love what you're going to say about how Pope Benedict was one of the greatest uh, scripture scholars of our time. And then he becomes the Pope. I mean, we, we I know Scott Hahn said this. You're going to share that with us. But uh, it's never happened before where we had the top scripture scholar become the vicar of Christ. Right. right. So let's talk it, about it. It, it. What a gift to the church. Amen. Um, Dr. Hahn had written this. He said, never before has a world-class theologian been elevated to the papacy. Wow. The pontificate of Benedict XVI bears the stamp of a distinctive biblical theology. There is no other Catholic theologian in the last century, if ever, whose theology is as highly developed and integrated in explicitly biblical terms. Wow. So Pope Benedict, you know, his whole modus operandi as a theologian was, well, the scriptures. We have to we have to be in union with the scriptures because where else do we first 
encounter God, you know, God's revelation. Not, it's not just in scriptures, it is in church tradition, and we do encounter him in prayer and in, in the liturgy of the church. But the scriptures are his word. So it's his love letter to us. It's his love letter to us, and in, and in reading it, we come to know him. And in his book, it's interesting because Benedict wasn't one of these people who was um, looking for novelty. He wasn't looking for um, putting himself first or making uh, having attention on himself. In the book, The Salt of the Earth, he says, I have never tried to create a system of my own, an individual theology. I simply want to think in communion with the faith of the church. And that means, above all, to think in communion with the great thinkers of the faith, the fathers of the church, the doctors of the church, the saints, you know, Thomas Aquinas, Augustine, Jerome, others. The point of departure is, first of all, the word, the scriptures he's referring to that we believe the word of God, that we try really to get to know and understand it. Kind of sounds like Jerome, not in the same words, but you know, so, ignorance of scripture is right. ignorance of Christ. So yep. we, we want to know the scripture so we'll know Christ. Sure. To think it, to think it together with the great masters of the faith. I don't need to invent my own brand new theology. I want to think in union with the church, in union with the fathers, in union with the doctors of the church, the great masters of the faith, the saints. This gives my theology, Benedict writes, a somewhat biblical character and also bears the stamp of the fathers. He was very familiar with the fathers of the church. I do not stop with the ancient church, but hold fast to the great high points of thought and at the same time, bring contemporary thought into the discussion. So he's not saying, let's live in the past, we, but we don't leave the word of God in the past as if it were an artifact that belonged in a museum. We need to bring it into the present moment and engage the present moment in dialogue with the scriptures. Beautiful. It is beautiful. It's, it's, it's exciting. It's the. The word of God is living. It's living. And, and Benedict realizes that at, at Pope, as Cardinal Ratzinger, the salt of the earth, he was Cardinal Ratzinger when he wrote that. It's exciting. You know, and I would encourage everyone, again, uh, if you don't have a Bible, get one and start reading your Bible with the heart of the church. And Mary, you talked about salt of the earth. I believe Ignatius Press is the publisher of that. People can purchase that by going to Ignatius That's Press That's to correct. do that. Yeah. Let's continue. Wow. Um, all of Benedict's works have this stamp of being biblical. Mm. Being, now, he had a great part in uh, forming the catechism of the Catholic Church. And this catechism is thoroughly, mm-hmm. thoroughly rooted in Scripture. If if you want to, you know, anybody who out there who doesn't understand the Catholic Church's position on Scripture or who thinks that the Catholic Church forbids her people to read the Scriptures, I challenge you to open the catechism of the Catholic Church and see how many Scripture references are on every single page. Dozens of converts to the Catholic faith, whether it's Scott Hahn, Tim Staples, all these guys that I've met over the 40 years have said exactly what you said. They said, this catechism was phenomenal. I picked it up and I'm like, wow, Catholics really love the Bible. <laughs> they were shocked. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, shock of shock of ages here, guys. Uh, wake up. Uh, no, it is, it is beautiful. And, and the church has always loved the Bible. The church praise the Bible every day. We pray scriptures every single day. And we're trying to live them. We don't, we don't look at the scripture as if it was alien to us or as something that's scary. This is God's holy word. God is speaking to us. It's inspired. It's the Holy Spirit is the primary author. It's inerrant. It teaches us the truths that God wants us to know. It, it just oozes God's love and his goodness and yes. his truth and his beauty. And this is what we want to know. Hi, man. Whenever she starts talking about the Bible, she lights up. Can you tell? You can see it. <laughs> Mary, before we go to the break, I want you to give a little plug. We have an event coming up November 30th, right around the corner to December 1st at the historic Sacred Heart Chapel. It's called The Deep Heart of God, Finding Redemption, Healing, and Restoration. 
It's the John Paul II Healing Center. You know something about this organization. Could you encourage people to go to their website, jp2healingcenter.org? What are they going to get when they go to this conference? Well, the John Paul II Healing Center, we live in a broken world, and especially with all the broken families, Mm -hmm. so many people are wounded, Mm -hmm. and it actually interferes with our relationship with God. Of course. And so these men who founded this center were also men who came from a broken family. Mm -hmm. But by the grace of God and through prayer, they found their way to healing, and now they go around the country Mm -hmm. trying to share this. The grace of God, God's healing grace, particularly in the Holy Eucharist and in the sacrament of confession in the Holy Mass, to bring healing and wholeness to the human person who's been wounded or maybe abandoned by a, a father or a mother or, oh. you know, and other things that have happened that just the breakdown of the family that so wounds the human person and interferes with our relationship with God. So they will talk about this. They'll explain what they do. And they'll give us, they'll give you prayers, they'll give you things that will help you in this healing process so that you be, can begin your journey to grow in, in healing and in wholeness and, and therefore grow closer to God. Well said. Go to jphealingcenter.org. That's jp2healingcenter.org. If you want to call us, we'll register you too at 877-526-2151. When we come back, we're going to continue to be excited about what Pope Benedict's contributions are in regards to reading God's love letter to you. You're listening to the Bible with the Barbers here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio in our new studio. We have a second studio still being built. If you'd like to help us with that, call 877-526-2151 or go online and make a donation. We'd love that. And that's virginmostpowerfulradio.org. More when we come back with Cardinal Ratzinger and the church teachings on the Bible. This is Terry Barber inviting you to the upcoming Spiritual Warfare Conference. January 11th and 12th at the Sacred Heart Chapel in downtown Covina. If you go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org, you can join us with that or call us at 877-526-2151. Jesse Romero will be there. Father Wolfgang will be there. And our very own Matt Arnold will be there. And I'll be the MC. Don't miss out on this wonderful event, January 11th and 12th. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. We desperately need to fix the bugs so you can listen live on our app or YouTube without any glitches. Plus, meet traditional broadcast standards in order to provide our exclusive programming to Catholic radio stations around the country and around the world, absolutely free of charge. As usual, we're doing it all on a shoestring budget, but we cannot do it without you. If you like what you hear on Virgin Most Powerful, I ask you to please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to the Bible with the Barbers. Can you see how excited my faithful bride is talking about Pope Benedict XVI's writings regarding the Bible as Cardinal Ratzinger 
So let's continue to be inspired by his writings, my dear. I just want to, one of Pope Benedict's, you know, why, why was he so in love with Scripture? Well, he's so in love with Scripture because he's concerned for the salvation of souls. Amen. He wrote, leading men and women to God, to God who speaks in the Bible. This is the supreme and fundamental priority of the church and of the successor of Peter especially at this time. Wow. So he really this the salvation of souls. He wants to he wants to evangelize because he wants people to come to know and love the Lord God because that's how we're going to get to heaven is in knowing and loving the Lord God because we don't make ourselves saints. Nope. God has to do that work and we need to give him permission. And how are we going to give permission to someone we don't know or love or trust? Yeah, that's- you know, we need to know him and love him so we can trust him. So it's interesting because in our day, of course, we have a lot of, um, you hear different things in sermons and you wonder where the priest got this, you know, these ideas, you know, like, oh, well, Jesus didn't really multiply the loaves and the yeah. fishes. It, it was just a matter that he got people to share the bread Generosity, that had. Generosity, yeah. Right. Or um, Jesus didn't really walk on water. Actually, the boat was very close to shore and he was standing. They just thought he was walking Give me on, a break. on the water. And you're like, well, where are these ideas coming from? And we want to know. And what what's happened is you have this historical critical method of scripture. And it's not so much the method itself. And, and Ratzinger pointed this out. What happens is there's a philosophical presupposition behind it. And that is ideas that came out of the Enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And what he says here, Cardinal Ratzinger pointed out when he was still the cardinal that he that it's necessary to look at the scripture historically because... Scriptures happened in real human history. We need to know the history. There's not a problem with that. He says, it is of the very essence of biblical faith to be about real historical events. Uh, Did he just say that? Yes, he did. Real historical events. I mean, it really happened in history. Sounds like he believes. I I think he does. And I think he also believes it really occurred in history. It wasn't made up somehow. Nope. The Bible does not tell stories symbolizing supra-historical truths. But it's based on history. Mary, I want you to stop for a minute because that is what many of our listeners have been hearing for years. And that's not the mind of the church. They've been hearing the opposite. They've been hearing that yeah. the, the Bible isn't based right. on that's history, the, the, that it's made up stories. Right. And that's no, not what the church this teaches. is not what the church teaches. The history took place right here on earth. And that the church teaches that, as a matter of fact, in the Second Vatican Council document on Dei Verbum, the Word of God, mm-hmm. The church unhesitatingly affirms the historicity of the fourfold gospel. Praise God. Gospel by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And she calls it one gospel, fourfold. It's Uh. told from four different perspectives. So he goes on. The historical fact is the foundation on which the Bible stands. God really became man. He entered into history. If we push this history aside, the Christian faith as such disappears and is recast as some other religion. Now, he wrote that in his introduction to Jesus of Nazareth. The first volume, which was from the baptism to the transfiguration, was published in 2007. That was in the introduction there on page 15. And so because of the historical fact of of Christianity, the historical critical method is indispensable. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we need to keep in mind. Yes, Christianity is a real historical reality. It's not mm-hmm. something that just kind of dropped down out of nowhere. And um, I would suggest that anyone who can get, get Jesus of Nazareth, at least, at least the first volume, if not all three volumes, because sure. he went on to write three volumes, and read that introduction that um, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger wrote explaining that the need for historical critical method. But at the same time, he goes into some of the difficulties with it, okay? So we don't have to repudiate the method. We don't have to say, throw out the historical critical method. Right. But we need to purify it. Qualify. We need to qualify it, purify it. Yep. There are um, philosophical, epistemological, and historical assumptions inherited from the Enlightenment, what that was called the Enlightenment, which need to be critiqued. The historical critical method is essentially a tool. Its usefulness depends on the way in which it is used. 
on the presuppositions one adopts in applying it. There is no such thing as a pure historical method. It is always carried on in a hermeneutical or philosophical context. So the hermeneutical, again, is how do you interpret? Exactly. I was going to bring that up. So how are you interpreting history? How Mm -hmm. are you, what is your presupposition when you start reading the Christian history? Mm -hmm. And that's what he's saying. We need to purify that and we need to take a good look at that. What is the presupposition? Um, even when people are not aware that there's a presupposition or maybe even expressly deny that there's a presupposition, it's there. Mm-hmm. So the difficulties which faith continually experience today, in the face of the critical exegesis, that historical critical method, they don't stem from the historical critical method itself as such, according to um, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, but they are latent in the philosophy which is at work behind it. The argument, therefore, must relate to this underlying philosophy. So when we discuss the historical critical method, when people look at it, we need to take a look at the method, and then we need to say, well, the person who's writing this, Mm -hmm. what is their underlying idea? Mm -hmm. For instance, one of them, Rudolf Bultmann, he wrote a book called The Demythalization of the Gospels. In the 1940s, he was in Germany. He was appointed by Hitler to become the head of the department at Nuremberg. Interesting. But in his book, he presupposes that there cannot be any miracles. Wow. So what Joseph Ratzinger does is he goes through some of the presuppositions of the historical critical method, and he explains their problems, the difficulties with them. And what's real interesting is they have one of these presuppositions is that whatever was simplest mm-hmm. must have been the first thing written. I've read that, yeah. Now, so, so if something is very simple, then, it, then that's what came first. Well, what's interesting about that is Retzinger explains that what they're doing there is they're applying the theory of evolution to the biblical interpretation. So he says, first and foremost, one must challenge that that basic notion depended upon a simplistic transferal of science's evolutionary model to spiritual history. Spiritual processes do not follow the rule of zoological genealogies. Mm -hmm. In fact, it is frequently the opposite. (laughs) And then he gives some examples. There's a letter in the early church written by Clement of Rome. Clement was, was it Peter? Then Linus Cletus Clement. He was the third pope. Third line. And so... He's writing after the death of Saints Peter and Paul. And Clement of Rome, is anybody going to argue that his letter is more developed or complex than the letters of Paul? Well, if you read Clement, the letter is extremely simple. It's very basic and down to earth. And read St. Paul. St. Peter even warned about St. Paul in his own letter, in the letter of Peter. He says, there are many who read Paul to their own detriment. Paul has a very complex, yes. very well-developed, very deep theology. Mm-hmm. And so Clement of Rome is written after Paul. We know this historically. So this idea that what was simplest had to come first, no. well, historically that doesn't play out. And no. he gives some other examples. He gives the example of comparing the letter of St. James to the letter of the Romans. The epistle of St. James, the theology is not as deep, no, anywhere near as deep or complex yeah. as that of what's in the Romans, in, in Paul's letter to the Romans. And another one is the Didache. And the Didache was, was like a catechism written by the apostles or given by the apostles and written down after their death. But the Didache, it, it's not as deep as Paul's pastoral epistles. So again, History itself says, you know, what was simplest didn't always come first. Sometimes what's simplest comes later. And and especially when you're talking about spiritual things and spiritual theology and the theology of the church developed. It's not it's not like it was all one one at one time. You know, we we don't the dogmas came a little by little and, and heresies arose and the church had to answer them. And sometimes the answers were simple and sometimes the answers are more complex. But history doesn't bear out this presupposition that whatever is primitive had to come first. Well, you're demonstrating that right now. Correct, correct. So that's one of the presuppositions that was, he says, no, you can't, 
that just doesn't follow. We, we have to say, no, that presupposition needs to be rejected. Another thing he pointed out is that many of the people wanted in the Enlightenment and their presupposition was to isolate Scripture from the church and from the liturgy. Ouch. Well, the Protestants at the time of Martin Luther yeah. rejected liturgy and they rejected the church. Yeah. So they want to cling to Scripture. What else do they have? But but they but they can't have scripture that's connected to the church or scripture that's connected to liturgy. So they try and divorce it. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, without the church, we don't have the scriptures. That's it. It's it's the Catholic Church that gave us the scriptures. The Jews didn't have a set canon at the time of Jesus. Didn't exist. It wasn't until the bishops of the Catholic Church declared what books were absolutely canonical. Old Testament and New Testament that we have a scriptures. So it's no, that's intimately related to the church. Absolutely. And when we come back, we'll talk more about the Bible and the church. It's interesting. I've heard a lot of people say to me, I never knew that that the church came before the Bible. I thought the Bible just came down from heaven bound and here it is. No, that didn't happen that no. way. And yeah. so the Holy Mother, the church, gave us a great gift when we have the scriptures. Amen. And there's no expiration date on that book, is there? No, there's not. There's no expiration date. All right. When we come back in a minute, we're going to talk more about what Pope Benedict's contributions are to helping us read the Bible with the heart of the church. And I want to remind you, our listeners, those who are in the Bakersfield area, I'm going to be up in Bakersfield with my wife on Friday night for an all-night vigil, praying for our church. I'm going to be giving some reflections on the faith. And if it's our, I think it's Our Lady of Guadalupe Church oh. in Bakersfield. We'd love to have you come up, and we'll do a holy hour of power. Actually, we're going to do about 10 hours of holy hours. <laughs> yeah, all-night <laughs> vigil. And it's appropriate for us right now with yeah. our church being in the situation we're in. So when we come back from the break, please stay tuned because you're going to learn more about something so essential as a Catholic the Bible. And you know, not only did the church give us the Bible, but you know, the church is here to help us understand how this Bible is applied in our life, our family life, in all aspects of our life. That's why I want to encourage you, if you don't own a Catholic Bible, get one, get a catechism, because as we go Amen. along in the Bible with the Barbers, we're going to be referring so much to your Bible, you'll want to read that Actually, when she's referring to verses, you can open up your Bible. And I think it would work. So when we come back, don't forget, we're going to talk more about Pope Benedict's contributions regarding the Holy Scriptures. And we're honored to have you with us. We'll be right back. Matthew Arnold here, encouraging you to go to vmpr.org to register for our upcoming Spiritual Warfare Conference this January 11th and 12th at the Sacred Heart Chapel in Covina. Father Wolfgang will be speaking along with Jesse Romero, Terry Barber as MC, and yours truly, talking about spiritual warfare and the family. Protect your family now. Go to vmp.org and register for this conference. Don't miss it. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. We desperately need to fix the bugs so you can listen live on our app or YouTube without any glitches. Plus, meet traditional broadcast standards in order to provide our exclusive programming to Catholic radio stations around the country and around the world, absolutely free of charge. As usual, we're doing it all on a shoestring budget, but we cannot do it without you. If you like what you hear on Virgin Most Powerful, I ask you to please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website, catholicrc.org.
buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites the Terry and Jesse Show, and they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us. I want to recommend that you read anything by Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger or Pope Benedict XVI. One of the neat things I've experienced as a reader is when I read St. John Paul II's writings, I understood most of it. But I didn't understand some of his uh, things because I, I he, he talks in phenomenology and he has a philosophical way of approaching things that if you don't have a degree in that, you might miss some things. But I have to say this about Cardinal Ratzinger, and you tell me with your master's in biblical studies, isn't it true that anybody can pick up Cardinal Ratzinger's writings, whether it's in, in, in encyclicals or his book, Jesus of Nazareth, and get a tremendous amount out of it, even without a biblical background. Absolutely. And I was so impressed. I was, when Pope Benedict, when Cardinal Ratzinger became Pope Benedict, and oh, he yeah. wrote his first encyclical, Saved in Hope, and oh, God yeah. is Love. And, yeah. you know, I read these, and I'm reading them, and I'm thinking, our high school students should be reading oh. these and studying them. <laughs> because he, he's so rooted in history. He's so rooted in the scriptures. He's so rooted in the teaching of the truth. And he's easy to read. It wasn't difficult. I read Pope John Paul II's things, St. John Paul II, and they are difficult. And you have to read them three or four times sometimes to get them. It wasn't like that to read Pope Benedict's. And I really encourage even, especially our high school students and our young people, read them. Read them because he will teach you so much. You know what I also noticed, Mary? A lot of converts. I get to talk to a lot of converts over yes. the last 40 years. And many of them, even... I'll just be honest with you, the uh, the Anglican ordinary are now having mass at our chapel here at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning. Do you know what brought these guys into the Catholic Church? Hmm. The writings of Pope Benedict. Wow, praise God. Yeah, yeah. And, and I see that over and over again. They're like, what? And even, just to take another minute, Scott Hahn, yeah. famous convert. Yeah. I remember r- talking to him about Cardinal Ratzinger, yep. and he's like, Cardinal Ratzinger? I never, who, who is this guy? As a Protestant, he reads a book. And he's like, wow, I've never heard of this guy. Why didn't I get to read him before? (laughs) And anything that Ratzinger (laughs) published, you know, Scott Hahn was reading. And also that was very helpful for Scott becoming a Catholic. So I think that, you know, just because he's Pope Emeritus now and God's going to call him home someday, his writings will be looked at 500 years from now. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. Absolutely. He will stand up one of the greats. He just, just. Such a gift to the church. Such, and that's why I want to go through this and, yeah. and understand, because he, he had such, you know, it's interesting. There's just the reality of his grasp of the history, mm. even the, the, the history of our time. The, in other words, he, he understands the, the philosophical um, ideas, all the ideas that went, went underneath bringing us to where we are. Yeah. But he also understood what we need to do to get to get back to where we should be. In other words, in union with God, we're not, we weren't made to live in this world just for this world or, or to live in this world as if we were just animals. We're God's children and we're supposed to live in union with God. And he just such a grasp of the history, where we've been, where we're going and where we should be going. Yeah. So just incredible. And when he was talking about the scripture and this, this reality of, you know, that after the Protestant revolution, you had this enlightenment that wanted to isolate the scriptures from the church. It also wanted to isolate the scriptures from, from liturgy, which if you read the scriptures, they're liturgical. That God, for example, the book of revelation, the book of revelation, not only the book of revelation, the old Testament, God taught his people the proper worship. He was the one who gave the instructions to Moses on the proper worship. And then Jesus established the new covenant mass, the mass that we celebrate that was established by Jesus at the last supper and on Calvary. That was his first mass, but it's one it's not just that, it's the whole Paschal mystery it. where it's the whole 
passion, death, burial, resurrection, and glorification of Christ, that is the Mass. It's more than you can think of in in an hour or an hour and a half even. If you read the scriptures and what's there liturgically, it's profound. It's beautiful. And that's you can't isolate the scriptures from that. So what do you think of the comment that's an old axiom, the way you worship is the way you believe? That is very true, and that's what happens. And that's why, you know, if we believe that Jesus Christ is really present in the Blessed Sacrament, we should be acting like it. Because if we don't act like it, we're going to not believe. And that's what happens. If we take it lightly, we will lose our faith. We can, and then, you know what? Faith yeah. is a gift, and it can be lost. And you have to ask Jesus for more faith every single day, or you will lose it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, Bishop Sheen always encouraged priests. When he gave priest retreats, he told the priests, you need to make the daily holy hour. You need to spend an hour with our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament every single day. But when he spoke at the Eucharistic Congress in 1976— That's right, Philadelphia— Shortly before his death, was three years before That's his right, death, before he, died. he said, everyone, he said, we are living in such times of crisis of faith that everyone, not just priests, lay people, children, married people, whatever your vocation in life, wherever you are, you need to make a daily holy hour. And I know sometimes the duties of your state in life will not allow you to actually be in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. A mother with sick children should be home taking care of those children. But you know what? You can make that holy hour at your sick child's I hope you were going to say that. Tell us what you mean by that. When my children were sick and I couldn't go make a holy hour, I would ask my angel to go visit Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, and I would say, Lord, my duties require me now to be with this child, but I can remember you on the cross. My child is suffering, and I can unite this with you on the cross, and I can with my heart, be present to you in the Eucharist as you are present in my child by grace. And I can spend this time serving you by serving my child and adoring you present in my child. And it it just beautiful. I'm grateful to God that I had that grace. And really, you had that actual grace to do that. I am grateful as your husband. Thank you, Jesus. And I, I know that this resonates with moms right now, what you just said. So but let's go right back to Cardinal Ratzinger. I got off on Bishop Sheen with you, and I always do that. <laughs> Full Sheen ahead. Well, go ahead. And again, this, this isolation of Scripture from the churches, it's, it's a method, it's, the method is flawed in and of itself. It's comparable, Scott Hahn wrote, to a scientist deciding to study a plant or an animal oh, yeah. without any reference to its natural habitat. Good analogy. Or environment. So, you know... I thought that was a great analogy. So, and, and what actually what it is is it's a there's a ideology behind it. There are ideas behind it. Ideas have consequences. Amen. And it's there's partially an anti-ecclesial idea, an attitude behind it. And in the end, what they end up doing is they end up separating. And I'm sure none of you have ever heard this: <laughs> uh, the Christ of faith and the Jesus of history. Oh, and, I've heard that. You know, then there's the Jesus of the gospel. We have these three Jesuses, right? The Jesus you see in the gospel, and the Jesus of history, and the Christ of faith. And well, who's who, and uh, how do we know? And and Joseph Ratzinger is saying, no, no, this is not this this is not how it works. They're all the same. There's only one Christ. <laughs> Amen. I love that he clarified that because we've heard that for so many years. Absolutely, there's one Christ. The Jesus who lived in history is really presented to us in the Gospels, and he really is the object of our faith. So the Gospels give us the Christ of faith, who is also the Jesus of history. There's no, there's no three Jesuses. There's only one. And, and Mary, that's why we keep saying ignorance of Scripture is ignorance, ignorance of, of Christ. Christ. Absolutely. And so we Catholics, by all means, are to lavishly be reading the Scriptures right. every day. Right. Isn't there an indulgence? Yes, absolutely. To reading the scripture every day? Absolutely. If you read the scripture 30 minutes a day, there's a plenary indulgence attached to that. The church encourages us to do this. And the awesome thing about it is, you know, the Second Vatican Council gave us a much wider exposition of the scriptures in the readings at Mass. Before the council, we didn't have as wide of, of, of a variety of readings from all the books of the Bible. Every book of the Bible is read in the three-year cycle at some point. All the Gospels are read. Every, everything, and so there's our, if we just go to Mass, just go to Mass and listen. Mm-hmm. If you can't get to Mass every day, look up the daily readings, and you are just 
amazed at how much scripture is brought out. I, I think some of the Catholic converts had said they never were in a Protestant church no. where on a Sunday they were exposed to as much scripture yeah. as a Catholic is at the Mass. It's ironic because many of us are told that Catholics don't read the Bible, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think your sister has a good story. Tell us about your sister. Our, my sister, when she, my, my younger sister, when she was about 16, she, was, she went with a friend of hers to visit somebody this friend knew. And she went in the house, and it turns out the, the father and the family was a fallen away Catholic. Yeah. And so she was saying, because he was saying to her, he said, well, I've, I've decided to join the Protestant church because at the Protestant church, my children go to Bible study, and they learn about the Bible, and I think this is so neat. I didn't learn it in the Catholic church. And my sister stopped, and she looked at him, and she said, when was the last time you went to Mass? Haven't you ever listened when you were at Mass? What are the readings at Mass? They're from the Bible, you know, an exactly. Old Testament reading, a psalm from the Old Testament, a New Testament reading, and then a reading from the gospel mm-hmm. at every single Sunday Mass. Why weren't you listening? And, and again, are we going to church and just checking out and not listening and paying attention? We need to wake up. God is speaking to us. Mary, I wish you'd really tell me what you think <laughs> next time about that. But, you know, that story about your sister is indicative of a lot of people thinking that the Catholic Church doesn't read the Bible. Right. And I'm asking our listener to prove that they're wrong. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Oh, my goodness. Mary, we're going to take another break and then get back into what Cardinal Ratzinger has to say regarding Scripture. I just want to give everybody an update on something. We have so many good things happening. December 8th, we're going to have a uh, special concert uh, for people to come to the Sacred Heart Chapel. I believe it's going to be up on the website now with uh, Eric Jenis, mm-hmm. who's fantastic. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, you know, classical music yes, at the chapel. So you want to come to that on the 8th. We mentioned already about the Deep Heart of God conference right. coming on the 30th and the 1st of December. Right. We also have many more other things, but you need to go to our website, virginmostpowerful.org, virginmostpowerfulradio.org, Or if you want to help us, and I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart, you can call Trish right now at 877-526-2151, and she'd be happy to take a donation or a registration. The biblical, excuse me, the Spiritual Warfare Conference is coming up. Mary, you're speaking at it on the uh, uh, January 11th and 12th here at the Sacred Heart Chapel. It always fills up fast. Jesse Romero will be there. I'll be there. Matt Arnold will be there. So if you want to register for that, go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call us at 877-526-2151. We come back. I'm going to get my wife to get a little bit more excited about reading the Bible. I've got no problem there, but we'll, we'll work on it. When we come back, you're listening to the Bible with the Barnabas. Terry Barber, I want to invite you to the Spiritual Warfare Conference coming January 11th and 12th at the Sacred Heart Chapel. It's going to be fantastic. I want to encourage you to sign up by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. One of the speakers is sitting right next to me, Matthew Arnold. Matt, what are you going to be telling our folks about? I'm going to tell them about my journey into the Catholic Church because in my younger days, I was in the entertainment business. I was all involved with cult beliefs and practices like tarot cards and astrology and even channeling. And I had my own brush with the demonic. Wow. Not only Matt... But Father Wolfgang from the Opus Angelorum, popular priest, he's welcome back. And our friend Jesse Romero, my partner on the Terry and Jesse show, will be there. Don't miss it. Go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org or call us at 877-526-2151. It is only because of your continued prayers and generous donations that Virgin Most Powerful Radio can broadcast live each weekday. We count on your spiritual and financial support because you understand the urgent need for Catholic programming that shares the gospel with clarity and charity, but without compromise. As usual, we're doing it all on a shoestring budget, but we cannot do it without you. If you like what you hear on Virgin Most Powerful, I ask you to please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly donor. You can set it up with the touch of a button on our website 
CatholicRC.org. Buying or selling your home or your business property? This is Terry Barber. Real Estate for Life underwrites The Terry and Jesse Show. And they can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. And when they receive their referral fee, they will give 80% of it to a pro-life organization. Wow, that's 80%. Realestateforlife.org, 877-LIFE-US-1. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. The Bible with the Barbers is right. Mary, I forgot one more event that's taking place. Can you share that with our listeners? Yes. On on Thanksgiving Day, which will be the 22nd of November, we have a Melkite Rite priest, Father Gabriel, who is on the 22nd of every month offering a healing mass in honor of St. Charbel. St. Charbel is a Lebanese saint from Lebanon, famous for miracles. Even Muslims come to pray at at the uh, monastery of St. John Marin, which is where St. Charbel is buried, because miracles happen every day. I mean, miracles are still happening in our world. And so um, on the 22nd of every month... Uh, Father um, Gabriel is doing this. And because Thanksgiving Day is Thanksgiving Day. 11 o'clock though, right? Yes. He Usually he does this Mass in the evenings on the 22nd. But because the 22nd of November is Thanksgiving Day, he's going to do it at 11 o'clock in the morning. Right. So if you, you know, all of us need healing, come and pray. Um, you get to experience the Melkite Rite Mass. And then Father um, prays over people after Mass. So, and it, hopefully they'll have the relic again. Last month they did have the relic of St. Charbel there. A parishioner brought it in. So I hope they allow us to do that again, to, to be blessed with the relic of St. Charbel. Lots going on. Powerful so, saint. Let's get back to Pope, uh, well, <laughs> Benedict XVI, former Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, the Bible scholar. Go ahead. The, one of the, the third prep, uh, uh, presupposition that he critiques here is the opposition of faith and reason. This idea oh. that somehow, well, you can have faith. If you have faith, you don't have reason. Separating have, the two. Yeah, if you have reason, you don't have faith. And it's like, no. no. Uh, it, you know, f- first of all, who made everything that is, right? God, right? Amen. And God made us, and he gave us a mind to think with. Of course. And to reason with. So how can, you know, if God is the author of everything that is, science is man's study of all that is. How can science really be opposed, to, you know, how can God and science be opposite when, you know, at opposition with one another when God is the one who made science? Right. And, and so it's his creature. He made everything that science studies. So there's no opposition. And the difficulty, you can't assume that faith and reason are opposed to one another. What happened was you got this... Um, interpretation of scripture that is what they call um, a naturalistic explanation that it was the only only the naturalistic explanation was valid so you if you only have a naturalistic explanation no supernatural exactly there are no supernatural events well how does that work you know so the supernatural events were like rudolph boltman dismissed as legends metaphors mythologies Or exaggerations or made-up stories. And it's interesting. There were a couple of scripture scholars, Paul Rhodes et al. and George Boyd, who wrote a book called The Jesus Legend, a case for the historical reliability of the synoptic Jesus tradition. And what they said in their book is, the claim that the natural world and its history constitute a closed continuum of natural causes and effects is a metaphysical claim. And metaphysics is just a, it's a branch of, um, the, of philosophy that has to deal with the um, origins of things and, and uh, being, how, how things exist. And so metaphysics, go, it goes beyond the, the realm of what we can see and touch. Mm-hmm. Metaphysics is a, is, goes beyond that. But, but nonetheless, they're using it. They, they create a met- metaphysic that actually, they reduce metaphysics to the physical, mm-hmm. which is kind of a contradiction in the term. Because yeah. metaphysics implies that it goes beyond the physical. So 
when they say that the, that the natural world is a continuum that's closed within itself, they're making a claim about how things exist. And so that's why it applies to metaphysics, because it's a claim. Now, what they did, Eddie and Boyd advocated what's called an open historical critical approach that makes no a priori decisions. Any scientist can fall into this trap, even a biologist, even a chemist. I have my own preconceived notion of how this experiment should come out. So when it's not working out quite the way I wanted, or it's not supporting my theory, I start manipulating the evidence. And this is what happened in biblical scholarship. Wow. They're manipulating, they try and manipulate the evidence to support their particular So it's idea. like an agenda. It's an they agenda. They have an agenda that says, this is what we want this to say, and here's right. how we're going to make it look like it says this. Exactly, exactly. And so um, what Boyd and, uh, and Eddie said is that actually what you need is you need to have this openness to miracles. Mm -hmm. And when you close yourself off and say you're not open to it, you're actually not being scientific and you're not being honest and the method itself is inferior if you close yourself off to the possibility of the supernatural, especially when you're dealing with the scriptures because the scriptures are revealed by God. Yeah. So in, they said in, in our estimation, this methodology of open historical critical is not less critical than the naturalistic historical critical method. Rather, it is more critical, for this method requires that the Western scholars be critical of their commitments to their own culturally conditioned naturalistic presuppositions. Wow. So I have to look at my own ideas and say, well, wait a minute. Is my idea interfering with the evidence here? Yep. Because that can happen. Sure. Our ideas can interfere with the evidence so that we don't really see the evidence. Right. It's interesting. Just in that regard, Scott Hahn one time, I asked him, I said, Scott, when you were a Protestant, you read every book of the scripture five times before you even opened a commentary. In the Gospel of Luke, when Simeon says to Mary, a sword shall pierce your soul mm -hmm. so that the secret thoughts of many hearts will be laid bare. How did you deal with that? And he said, I never saw it. <laughs> it's amazing. And so there are things that, yeah, it, it takes something to open our eyes to the reality that's there. It's very real, but we might miss it. So we want to be open to the reality of what the scriptures are and what they present to us. And he said, they, they go on to say, the problem is that the unequivocal commitment of the historical crit critical scholars to a naturalistic presupposition is such that it rules out at the start the possibility of genuine supernatural occurrences in actual history. So before they even begin, they're saying there can't be anything supernatural. Well, wait a minute. If you're talking about God revealing things, how can there be nothing supernatural? Mary, it sounds like we hear this for years, the, the coming in, reading the Bible with a doubtful attitude exactly. so that uh, the idea of the supernatural has been pushed aside. And I see this, yes. I don't mean to be critical, but it's a reality. We've seen people telling us that the Bible is no different than any other book. Exactly. And they're wrong. And they're wrong. This is a wrong, and, and, and it's very actually very unscientific. Yes. And that's what Boyd and Eddie point out. It, it, it's unscientific. What's happening is a priori you're saying nothing supernatural can happen mm -hmm. in the natural world. Well, again, we go back to what Ratzinger said. What did he say? And the word became flesh. God really became man. Yeah. He really dwelt among us. So yeah, something supernatural can happen. And how many people haven't read about miracles, real miracles? Oh, yeah. You know, it's interesting. At Lourdes, mm -hmm. there have been, since 1946, I think, mm -hmm. 1,800 unexplainable cures. Yes. The medical profession cannot explain how right. these people were cured of what they were cured. Do you know how many of those the church accepted as actual miracles? Not too many. 18. Yeah. So for the church, the Catholic church has the strictest. She doesn't just say, oh, miracles are happening all over the place. Yeah. No, if there's any possibility of any natural explanation whatsoever, yes, that's God at work, but he's working through natural means. A miracle has to be something where God intervenes. He doesn't contradict the nature or the science he's created, mm -hmm. but he can intervene. He's God. He can intervene. 
You know, Mary, the cause for sainthood, um, two miracles need to take place. Exactly. So I think that what I'm encouraging you, you're, I'm hearing from you, is that we need to have a supernatural outlook exactly. when we read the Bible right. and see it for what it is and not look at it with from doubt. Exactly. And that was what, what um, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger and later as Pope Benedict pointed out over and over oh, again, yeah. our hermeneutic of faith. That means an interpretation of faith. And the church teaches us this. Do not approach the scripture with an attitude of doubt. Approach the scripture with an attitude of faith. And I don't care what scholar has written and said, you have to question everything in the Bible. That's not what the church teaches. That's not what our Holy Mother teaches. That's not the true attitude. And that's not a scientific attitude either. It seems to me, and I know this is at the end of the show, but when you don't have a supernatural aspect of God's word, it would go right into a not having a supernatural attitude towards his bride, the church. Absolutely. So there's a connection there. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is they're both part of divine revelation. The, the scriptures, the church, sacred tradition. This is divine revelation. Yeah. God himself established the church. I didn't establish the Catholic Church. You didn't? No. Oh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Amen established the Catholic Church. That was the, that's the original church. And we can trace our roots all the way back to the, the apostles. And those same people that attri- attribute doubt to Scripture, I've heard them say this. It wasn't Jesus' will that the church would grow and be what it is today. Have you heard that, Mary? Once oh, my gosh. Once or twice? Yeah, and, and I'm like, well, how can you say that? You mean Jesus didn't intend to save everyone? He desired to save everyone. He, he shed his blood Amen. for everyone. There's no one out there that Jesus didn't die to save. I don't care how many sins you've committed. I don't care what horrible things you've done. I, it doesn't matter. Bartolo Longo, blessed Bartolo Longo, had become a Satanist priest. Yep. And he was converted back to his Catholic faith through the intercession of Our Lady. And he came back to the church. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, God wants you to come home. He wants you to know that he's reaching out to you in love. He wants to pour out his mercy upon you and fill you with his life and the freedom of being his child. I want to encourage you, if you haven't been to confession in over a month, this is a great time to go to confession. Amen. And if you haven't been to confession in years and years, don't hesitate. Every Saturday night at almost every parish, Saturday afternoon or the evening, there's confessions. But I want to encourage you just to call the parish. Say, Father, I'd like to make an I'd appointment. Like to make an appointment. To go to confession. Amen. And you'll yeah. be back in the fold, and you'll say thanks a lot. And Mary, that always leads me to what Jess and I always say, what state you should be living in. <laughs> the state of grace. And what state we shouldn't be living in. The state of mortal sin. And you know, for a lot of people, uh, this mortal sin uh, has become the norm in our culture. Yeah. And that's why... We need to read God's words so that we have a sense of what sin is. Right. Right. And St. John Paul II opened his pontificate with that prayer. Return to us, O Lord, a sense of sin Mm -hmm. and the sensitivity of the saints. And let's all pray that every day. I want to remind you, we'll be back next week, God willing, with the Barbers with the Bible. Bibles with the, someone said, yeah, the Bible with the Barbers, (laughs) something like that. Also, Jesse Romero is in Baltimore with the Bishop's Conference. He's going to be calling in tomorrow on the Terry and Jesse Show. We'd love to have you join us. And use social media to promote these shows, would you please? We want to get the word out as many people as possible. May God richly bless you and your family. And I always say, full sheen ahead. And I hope that you can join us again next week at the same time. Amen. Good to be with you. You have a voice in your head. How did he know that, the voice just said? Because we all do. (laughs) And the words you speak to yourself matter a lot. Our words shape our self-perception. Our self-perception shapes our actions. Our actions shape our lives. Words are at the foundation of our whole lives. What words do you speak to yourself? The book of Revelations calls the devil the accuser of our brothers. He wants us to amplify the negative words in our heads. God reveals the truth about who we are. But he didn't do that so you wait for me to preach it to you. Preach it to yourself. When the voice within starts saying, I'm weak, used, washed up, not pretty enough, skinny enough, smart enough, I'll never be enough. Replace that with words like, I'm blessed, I'm chosen, I'm beautiful. I am a son or daughter of the King of Heaven. I don't mean that figuratively, I mean it literally. Look in the mirror and preach the truth to yourself. This is Chris Stefanik from reallifecatholic.com.
Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.